We turn this morning to Revelation chapter 5, Worthy is the Lamb. I trust that theme has come through clearly already. Going to begin reading at verse 1, read through verse 10 of Revelation chapter 5. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful vision of the throne in heaven and Jesus, the one who is worthy to open the book. And to look into it. Father, I pray that you would guide us now into your truth. Your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Those of us who are grandpas and grandmas have an advantage from previous generations. Because we have uh, cell phones. And we can get pictures. We can get videos of our Cute and wonderful and funny grandchildren, right? Any uh, grandpas here that would say amen to that? <laughs> and there's one video I think of as I share with you this morning of my grandson, I won't name him, a little toddler, and he was standing on this uh, platform with a slide on it at the park. And he was standing above everybody, you know, and he thought, now, uh, I'm quite significant. And what he was saying is, he's just still learning to talk. He was saying, big, big, big. <laughs> he thought he was, in his toddler mind, you know, the ruler of the world. Here I am, standing above mom, standing above grandpa, standing above everyone. I am big. <laughs> well, throughout history... There have been many men who thought they were big. And in their inflated view of themselves, they vainly thought they could rule the world. 
Many examples we could give from Nebuchadnezzar to Alexander the Great to all the Roman emperors to Stalin to Napoleon to Lenin to Hitler. A long list of many who thought they were big. But all of these men have one thing in common. They failed. Every single one of them failed. And thank God they failed. There's only one person who has the power and the authority to rule the world, and that's Jesus. Jesus is going to come again. He will reclaim that which is rightfully His. And verse 13 tells us then that every created thing, which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, as if to say, no one is excluded. They will be saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Jesus alone is worthy of our praise. Now, I would suggest to you there are three reasons why he is worthy as we look at this great vision in Revelation chapter 5. First of all, because Jesus opened the book that no one else could. John continues to describe a heavenly vision that began in chapter 4. We saw the Father seated on the throne, and now John notices a book. It was an important book because the Father was holding this book. And John tells us in verse 1 that it was in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, some translations call it a scroll, and it's probably a better way to translate that because it's not a book like we would have, bound like a Bible or bound like any other book. It was actually a scroll that had writing on the inside and on the back, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, as you can imagine, those who study uh, the book of Revelation, um, there's various views as to what this scroll is, and I'm not going to take the time to present all the views as to what it is. I'll just tell you what I think it is. To me, the view that makes the most sense is that this scroll is like a title deed or some kind of a document that shows evidence of ownership. Now, some of you have a title deed right to your house. It shows evidence of of ownership. One reason why I see it as a title deed is because documents like these were used all over the Middle East in ancient times. They were used by the Romans from the time of Nero on, and so it would have been a book that would be familiar to John. When he saw that scroll, he had seen things like it, something familiar to him. Uh, Dr. Robert Thomas adds this, the Hebrew document most closely resembling this scroll was a title deed. Another reason why I see this scroll as a title deed is because it fits with what the Bible says about God's plan for the world that He created. You go back to the book of Genesis. Who was the one that created all things? God was the one that spoke things into existence. And then He gave gave Adam dominion over the earth to rule it. Right? What happened? 
Adam sinned. And now we see in Scripture that Satan is the god of this world. And so Jesus is coming back to reclaim that which is rightfully his. And he opens the title deed. And he's the only one that could open that scroll. Verse 2, John says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? It's obvious that this title deed couldn't be opened by just anyone. It had to be someone who was worthy to open it. But John says in verse 3 that no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, was able to open the book or to look into it. So to the question, who is worthy to open it? Silence. Who is worthy to open it? John MacArthur says the powerful archangels Michael and Gabriel do not answer the question. Uncounted thousands of other angels remain silent. All the righteous dead of all the ages, including Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Job, Moses, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and he lists all these different names. None of them could open that book. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to look into that book or to open it up. Do you know why? No one was worthy to open that book? I think you know. Because no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth has done what Jesus has done. No one has overcome like Jesus did. No one has defeated the devil like Jesus did. No one bore the sins of the world like Jesus did. No one rose from the dead like Jesus did. And no one will be able to restore was lost in the fall like Jesus will. Jesus is the rightful owner of this world and therefore He alone was able to open the book. No one else could. No one was big enough. No one was strong enough. No one had that right to open the book. So Jesus opened the book that no one else could. That's why we praise Him today. That's why we are gathered here because of what He did on that cross, and what He will do when He comes to reclaim that which is rightfully His. There's a second reason He is worthy. Jesus not only opened the book, no one else could, Jesus removed the tears that no one else could. It's interesting when John sees that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book and break its seals. He is overcome with with deep sadness. Verse 4, Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. Now some suggest that John weeps here because he's disappointed. He really wants to know what's in there. Are you like that where you just got to know? huh? And if you don't know something, it just bugs you? I don't think that's it at all. I don't think it's at all that that John is, you know, he's crying because he really wants to know what's in the book. No. John is weeping for a much greater reason. He weeps because life would be hopeless without the restoring work of Jesus. 
What if Jesus had not come? What if he had never gone to the cross? What if he had never suffered there? What if this world would continue to be in the grips of the God of this world, the evil one? What, would, what, what hope would there be? And so John weeps. W.A. Criswell says John's tears represent the tears of all God's people through all the centuries. Those tears of the Apostle John are the tears of Adam and Eve driven out of the Garden of Eden as they bowed over that first grave of their son, Abel. Those are the tears of the children of Israel in bondage as they cried out to God in their affliction and slavery. They are the tears of God's elect throughout the centuries as they cried unto heaven. They are the sobs and tears that have been wrung from the heart and soul of God's people as they look upon their silent dead as they stand beside their open graves, as they experience in the trials and sufferings of life heartaches and disappointments indescribable. He says such is the curse that sin has laid upon God's beautiful creation. John says, I wept greatly. And here's what Criswell says, for the failure to find a Redeemer meant that this earth and its curse is consigned forever to death. That's why John weeps. But if you look at verse 5, one of the elders says, John, you don't need to cry. You don't need to weep. In fact, he says, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. In other words, there's no reason to weep, John. The lion has overcome. He is worthy to open the book. And when he does, he will restore all that was lost in the fall. Stop weeping, John. The lion has Overcome. So when I stood at the graveside of my mother and wept, what was God's word to me? Stop weeping, the lion has overcome. When I stood beside the bedside of my father as he was dying, what was God's word to me? Don't weep, the lion has overcome. Jesus is the only one who can wipe away those tears. In Revelation chapter 7, we're given a wonderful picture of this. There's these ones in white robes, and John is wondering who they are. And notice the description. They are the ones that have come out of great tribulation. They've washed their robes white. And then he says, for this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And he who sits at the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. And then I love verse 17. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, it doesn't say God's going to give us a Kleenex and say, now wipe your tears. God himself, think of that. God himself 
will wipe away every tear. Just like a mother, when a little child comes crying to her, she doesn't throw a Kleenex at her and say, wipe your tears and stop crying. She takes that little one in her arms and she daubs those tears away. God will wipe away every tear because of Jesus, what he did. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What would cause those tears? There will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. There's a lot of things that bring tears in life, aren't there? Death, sickness, pain, suffering, disappointment. I wonder how many gallons of fluid tears we've shed over the years, over all kinds of things. God will wipe them away. Every tear from their eyes. You see that what a difference it makes when you know the one who's overcome? What a difference it makes when you have a living relationship with Jesus. He wipes the tears away and He reminds you that the victory that He won is your victory too. You know how I know that? Because God's Word word says in Romans chapter 8, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? The tribulation? Or distress? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Jesus is the one who gives us Victory. We enter into His victory that He won over sin and death and Satan. And He wipes the tears from our eyes. But if you don't know the One who has overcome, tell me, what hope do you have? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, what hope do you have? I will answer that for you. You have no hope. You have no hope. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. Who is going to wipe away your tears if you don't know the one who has overcome? I have seen in my ministry many times the tears of those who have no hope. I've had funerals of people I didn't know. They didn't have a church, didn't have any relationship with the Lord. And you go and meet with those families and you plan a funeral service with families that have no hope and you see what those tears are like. And your heart breaks for them. I remember sitting down with one family and they told me, we want no music at the funeral. I said, none? None. Not even a prelude and a postcode? None. And I said, why do you want no music? They said, there's nothing to sing about. 
That's the tears of those who have no hope. Now, we sorrow, right? We shed tears as believers. But it's not a hopeless sorrow. And that's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. We sorrow. But it's a whole different kind. Because God is the one who wipes away those tears. And one day they will all be gone. No more crying. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more suffering. The Lord says, I'm going to make everything new. What a glorious day that will be. So Jesus opens the book. No one else could. Jesus removes the tears that no one else could. And then thirdly, Jesus redeemed the people no one else could. And the angel tells John to stop weeping. It's interesting to notice what happens. Verse 6, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And what's interesting, John had been told, don't weep because the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. And then John turns and looks, and instead of seeing a lion, what does he see? He sees a lamb. He sees a lamb. Now, that shouldn't really surprise us, because how did Jesus overcome? He overcame by offering his life for us. He sacrificed his life for us. He died and rose again for us. So Jesus overcame as a lamb. And he sees the lamb as if slain. Standing alive. But maybe on his hands, the nail prints, the evidence of the cross, there is that lamb. And we know from Scripture that Jesus is the Lamb of God who, who takes away the, the sin of the world. First Peter 1, we read this morning, You weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood as of a lamb. A lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So Jesus has overcome by shedding His blood for us. He willingly laid down His life for us. And as Peter puts it, He redeemed us. He redeemed us. Notice when Jesus takes the book from the right hand of the Father, all of heaven falls to its knees in worship. Verse 8, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book, to break its seals, for you were slain and you purchased, notice that word, you purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe Every tongue, every people, every nation. And that was just the beginning of the worship service. <laughs> A vast multitude joined in. 
John says, I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Anybody count that? Wow. And they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. That wasn't the end because verse 13 says, And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. It's like, how else can he say it? Everyone, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down. And worshipped. Purchased. That's the word that is often translated redeemed or redemption in Scripture. It pictures slaves being bought in the marketplace and then given freedom. That's what Jesus did, right? That's what He did. And the price He paid was so great that it was enough to purchase salvation for men of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Even Finlanders, right? Even Norwegians. Men from every tribe and tongue and nation. It was a price that no one else could pay. The price of the spotless, perfect, unblemished Lamb of God. Now, when we think of being redeemed, we tend to think of something in the past that we've been saved from our sin, but uh, Scripture... Uh, points to future blessings of redemption. Part of it is our inheritance. First Peter 1 tells us that we will obtain an inheritance imperishable, undefiled. It will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We wait for a new body. Listen to this. Romans 8, 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown. Ever grown? You bet we do. We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The older you get, the more you understand how wonderful that is. You young people, you know, you've got strong, healthy bodies. You've got minds that work, memories that are good. You start getting older, you say amen to a new body, right? Trade this old one in and get a new one. Just like trading an old car and getting a new one. That's what's going to happen someday. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we that are alive will, will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I think my wife is going to be happy because I'll probably be a lot better looking when I get that new body, huh? We also wait for a place where there's no sin. We live in a world of sin, don't we? Ever get tired of sin? Tired of reading the news and see all the evil in the world? I get tired of that. And I get tired of my own sin, too. We have a sinful nature, right? And we fail. We fall short of the glory of God. 
And we say, I'm not going to do that again. And we do it again. Just think one day. We'll say goodbye to that sinful nature. Goodbye to the sin of this world. Bring into the presence of Jesus. And living in a place of righteousness. 2 Peter 3.13 says, But according to His promise, we are looking forward for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you see why Jesus is worthy of our praise? As the Lamb, He was slain for you. He paid the price for your sins. And if you receive Him, you will be among that throng rejoicing one day in the presence of Jesus, singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. I heard a story one time about some men that were working on the roof of a church. And one man, whatever happened, he slipped and fell, rolled off the roof, landed on a lamb. There were, it was a country church and there was sheep in the area and one of them happened to just be right underneath. And so there was a monument set up. And on that monument, it described what happened and then it made the application that that's what Jesus did for us. He took the fall. <laughs> he paid the price for you and for me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Father, thank you that Jesus is worthy. He opened the book that no one else could open. He removed the tears that no one else could. He redeemed the people that no one else could redeem. Lord, you are worthy, and we offer you our praise, our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.